Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Drive Into the Basket, part of the Basketball Podcast Network. I am Mike, your host today, and I'm joined by my buddy, Chris Wojciechowski. Uh, we'll just call him Woj, the other Woj. Uh, thank you for joining the show today. Uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate you deciding to have uh, a fan voice on the show. <laughs> Absolutely. Happy to. So uh, today we are going, as promised, to do a Central Division preview. Uh, so we'll talk about the teams in the Central Division, what changed in the offseason, how that relates to the Pistons, and we'll cap it off with some talk about where we think the Pistons will finish, You know, where we think they'll place in the Eastern Conference in the upcoming season. You know, The big question uh, that, that's come up a lot, do the Pistons have a chance of making the play-in tournament next season? We'll talk about that. So uh, yeah, let's launch right into it. So Central Division, of course, is the Pistons, Cavaliers, Bulls, Pacers, and Bucks, And it's shaping up to be an extremely strong conference. I know that the East as a whole is, is really as strong as it has been in a very long time. So uh, why don't we start out with a team that was most recently really the talk of the NBA, and that is the Cleveland Cavaliers. They, of course, picked up Donovan Mitchell in a trade with the Utah Jazz. I believe sent out three unprotected first-round picks, two pick swaps, Laurie Markkinen, uh, Colin Sexton in a sign-and-trade, and, and uh, O'Shea Obagi. That's the one who they drafted in, in 2022, back in June. Yeah, so, that, seems to yeah. Be the, that seems to be the agenda in the NBA right now, isn't it? It's um, establish your young core and then send out all of your future picks for a star. Yeah, or if you're the Clippers, uh, you send out your, your only really good young player uh, in exchange for a star after you've signed another star. If you're one of the L.A. teams or you're in Miami, then you can build differently. And maybe oh, yeah. someday if you're, New York. You're, if you're owned by Steve Ballmer, you are in a completely different game. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I feel obligated. I should just note with the Clippers. Like I feel like people are not talking, but this is Western Conference, of course, but I feel like people are not talking about the Clippers enough. That team is deep, like deep in a way that we have not seen in a roster in, in recent years. So uh, if you're betting... Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. To, not, to, not to go off on a tangent, but I mean, I think they are... They, I, it's, it's If they're healthy... It's hard to call anybody else the favorites in the West. Absolutely, I would. I would say if they're healthy, it's hard to call anybody else the favorites in the NBA. I mean, that team. You start from the top. Kawhi Leonard, when he's healthy, isn't. I mean, he's an amazing basketball player. There's nothing when he's healthy that he just aside from passing, which is decent. He does everything else at an elite level. <clears throat> well, we're uh, going to talk, yeah. talk about the Milwaukee Bucks soon. Yeah, we are too. Yeah, Kawhi's amazing. Paul George is still a great player. I mean, they've got they've got such a deep team. It's insane. They're only kind of like slightly weak at center, but even there, they're fine. Well, good enough. You can shirk on center if you're super strong everywhere else. Anyway, back to the central division. So let's start with Cleveland. Yeah, we're just going to just go over uh, for each of these teams what happened in the offseason, uh, notable additions and subtractions, and then we'll talk about how they're looking. So uh, the Cavaliers lost, of course, the players in, uh, in the Donovan Mitchell trade. Uh, brought on Donovan Mitchell, of course. Uh, Jamarco Pickett, not actually uh, very relevant. Of uh, He was with the Pistons last year. I'm not sure if he'll stay with the team. I think he's in a two-way, actually, but I'm not sure. And yeah. uh, that's about it. Brought on Robin, Robin Lopez, who's really just a bench center. So uh, what are your thoughts about the Cavaliers? Well, you know, I mean, you can't gloss over the fact that they grabbed Raul Neto and Isaiah Mobley. But <laughs> I mean, um, in general, nice. I yeah. would say that the, it, it's really hard for me to understate how much I like the Cavaliers for this coming year. Um, they are a very complete team. You know, um, a lot of what we've heard around the NBA in the last few years has been focused on 
this idea of going towards um, more small ball, talking about going towards the idea of teams that are more built around wings without bigs. But the fact of the matter is that the league does continue to trend a little bit bigger at a time um, in terms of the skill that's available. And I think that one of the things that's happening is as we're seeing a saturation in terms of that skill at the wing size, we're starting to see a few more guys emerge at that big man size with more and more wing skills. And I think that Evan Mobley is emblematic of that slow transition to where the the truly skilled big wing is normal and the truly skilled big is becoming a re- is becoming an emergent thing. Evan Mobley from my perspective is a superstar wild card in coming years and if he only makes moderate strides on the offensive end primarily as a ball handler um, maybe as a shooter a little bit this year as well, he is going to just turn them into something that is going to be tremendously difficult to stop in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, I think he's got a superstar ceiling. I've said it before. I'll say it again many times. The 2021 draft was just spectacularly deep, like it, just a ton of talent and a ton of a lot of high end talent. And Mobley, Green, Cade. I mean, if if Green had been in this last draft. Uh, he would have been a number one overall pick. If Mobley had been in this last last draft, he would have been the number one overall pick. It would not have even been a discussion. I think Mobley's got a superstar ceiling, and and I would say that he's he's got every on a team with Donovan Mitchell and on a team with Garland. I think he's got every chance of being the best player on that team if his development cuts right. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm in a tremendously lucky position. Um, I live in Toledo, which puts me although I'm I'm close enough to Detroit to get uh, Valley Sports. Detroit, uh, being where I am in the Toledo market, I also get Bally Sports Ohio. And I've had the opportunity to watch, um, you know, a couple dozen Cavaliers games last year. And the only thing I can say about Evan Mobley is everything, if, if you haven't had the opportunity to watch a lot of the Cleveland Cavaliers, if you only saw a game or two in the regular season uh, when they were on national TV, when they played the Pistons, and then some games, you know, you saw some play in play and everything that you've heard about Evan Mobley, every positive glowing piece that you've read about Evan Mobley, every YouTube video you've seen about Evan Mobley, there is true weight behind all of the upside presented regarding that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Mobley, uh, he, I think, I don't think offensive creation is necessarily going to be a strong suit, but I think he'll be able to do some of it. I think eventually it will. I think that when, when you look at, I think that he and Kate Cunningham are the inverse of each other. I bring that up just because of the fact that I know that our audience is going to be composed of a lot of Pistons fans. So I'll try to make some Pistons comparisons where I can. Um, when you look at Cade Cunningham, you look at a player that we all expect him to be a very, very good defensive player in large part because we see a player that on the offensive end is a genius in terms of the way that he sees the other players on the floor. That translates to the defensive end. We all see the ways that that can translate to the way that Cade um, sets himself up, sets up his positioning, goes after, um, you know, plays for risk-reward plays, for steals, for blocks on the defensive end. Cunningham can clearly pick up on those things on the defensive end. I think the inverse is true of Evan Mobley, where we see so much genius in terms of the way that he perceives the way that everybody is positioned, the way that everybody is moving on the floor, where the ball is going and where it's going to be. 
that's going to translate to the offensive end. And I think he is skilled enough with the ball to become an incredible, um, incredible at creating with the ball as well. He's, he's never going to be a top end, um, you know, dribble player, but a you know, player off the dribble. But in terms of the way that he finds teammates, the way that he creates offense and creates mismatches with the ball in his hands, I think he's going to be able to do everything that you could hope for from him as a, a supersized wing in a cup within a couple of years, not this year, but within a few years. Gotcha. Yeah. I just say that I don't think it'll be the strongest aspect of his game. I don't think Mobley oh, is going not. to be, the, I don't think it's, it's, he's going to be the number one creator for a really good team. I think that if Mitchell and Garland are on that team, I think that Mobley will probably be third in the totem pole there, but I think he'll be able to do some attacking off the dribble. He's very agile. He's got good vision. He can make the right passes. I presume we will continue to bulk up. And uh, if the shot comes along, you know, fantastic. But uh, I think he's got all defense upside, uh, maybe defensive player of the year upside. Yeah. And then, you know, we talked to, you know, like I said, I, I, I say I can't say enough glowing things about the Cavs. And, it, and so, you know, we move, we move beyond just talking about Mobley. Let's talk about Darius Garland. Oh, I want to talk a little bit more about Mobley, actually. Oh, like just, right. Yeah, let me finish there. So yeah. Mobley, like uh, we saw Chet Holmgren in this last draft. Like, okay, you know, Chet, great defender and so on and so forth. Like in terms of switch defense or just in terms of defensive versatility, uh, Evan Mobley is what Chet Holmgren wishes he could be. I mean, Mobley is freakishly mobile for a guy his size. He can defend anyone on switches. He can relocate and, and just he sees it so well. He can do it very quickly. He, he's amazing at contesting shots. And once he bulks up and adds rim protection to his repertoire, I mean, you might have like the best, he's easily one of the best defensive centers in the league. And he can play yeah. down to power forward. He can, you know, he can, he can play down to small forward. And he's just, he's, the sky's the limit. So. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah. I think the, what, what you just said, you said that he's everything that Chet Holmgren wishes he could be. I think that Chet Holmgren is, is, like you said, about him uh, developing that post presence. I think Chet Holmgren is some of what Evan Mobley hopes he can be. I think they're both, I think they're coming into the league. You know, you know I, I mentioned, I tried to call Cade Cunningham the inverse of Evan Mobley in terms of purely the way that big men play defensively. You know, looking at two skinny big men, um, you know, Mobley comes at it from a different direction from Chet Holmgren. Chet Holmgren is very interior focused. Chet Holmgren would have been redundant next to Jared Allen. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, Mobley, Mobley is, I think Mobley and Holmgren can both do, can both eventually get to where they're able to do most of the things the other can do. Holmgren will never be as good on the perimeter as Mobley. And I don't think that assuming that Chet Holmgren's body holds up, I don't think Mobley can be as good on the interior. I think that Holmgren has an instinctual shot blocking interior awareness that Evan Mobley doesn't possess, but I think he can get most of the way there on learning and growing. It's, it's just one of those things that there's a child prodigy element to the way that Holmgren plays on the interior, just like there is to the way that Mobley plays on the perimeter um, as a big man. Yeah. I would just say that I think that a lot of Holmgren's effectiveness, like, yeah, I agree that Holmgren's a little bit further along offensively, but a lot of Holmgren's effectiveness on defense, I think, is going to come from. This is going. It's basically found at playing center. Yeah. He's got to put on that weight. And, and Mobley has shown that he can effectively play defense, like at an elite level, at forward. Mm-hmm. So, um, but anyway, yeah, we've we've spent like yeah. seven minutes talking about Evan Mobley. So, <laughs> in we'll, the interest of this, not being a two-hour podcast, two hours on this. <laughs> yeah, and I know that was totally my fault. So, uh, yeah, it's worth mentioning. Yeah, the reason Mobley is playing most of his minutes power forward, Jared Allen. Uh, I know that there were a lot of question marks around that signing. I liked it at the time because it's like, you know, uh, that's a solid contract value for, for Jared Allen. 
uh, and can bring Mobley along more slowly. You talk about Mobley being skinny, of course, he's 20 pounds heavier, 25 pounds heavier than, than Chet Holmgren, but still a on the shorter. skinnier side. Yeah, and a little bit shorter. But uh, Jared Allen came in, he was an all-star. Yeah, Jared Allen is the perfect partner for Evan Mobley. Absolutely perfect. He's an incredible interior defender. I can't, I, wow. I mean, I, I can't believe that Kobe Altman managed to stick his nose into the James Harden deal and wind up with Jared Allen. That's, that is, that's one of the steals of the last couple of years. The Cavaliers have absolutely no business having Jared Allen on their roster. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he came out of nowhere in terms of his improvement. Like, he was fairly good with the Nets. He really just, yeah, I mean, he, he exploded with the Cavaliers in terms of his play, just in terms of just his improvement was really something else. Yeah, he's a guy who's he's a super strong interior uh, interior finisher, like not really much of a creator. Really strong interior finisher, really strong role man, strong interior defender. And yeah, he was just a great pickup. The Cavaliers, just a great pickup. And, and like you said, great partner for Mobley uh, because this gives Mobley time to time to develop in terms of his strength and just his body composition. Because Mobley struggled a little bit when he when he had to try to defend around the basket last season. And you know who knows maybe. He never really makes that improvement. I think. I think even in that case, he'll be an elite help side defender. And if you got Jared Allen there, it's not really nearly as much of an issue. Well, I don't see a world where Evan Mobley doesn't develop more as an interior defender. I think oh, he's yeah. too yeah. good and too smart to not get there. And I'm, you, you bring I'm just talking like, about his body. I'm just okay. talking about if he never puts on that weight. Okay, just purely in terms of that, I, I, I can see the fear. I'm not as worried about it. I think he looks like he's going to get there. He's young as hell. But yeah, I mean, you, one thing that I will quibble with a little bit is. You say that Jared Allen gives him the opportunity to grow into that. Jared Allen's not just there, though, to provide the opportunity for him to grow into that. Jared Allen is under contract at $20 million a year for the next four seasons, and he is a, he's a bargain. There's no reason for the Cavaliers to get off him. He's going to be an unrestricted free agent at age 28. I mean, he's going to play into his prime probably as a Cleveland Cavalier, and he's He's perfect for that role. I mean, Jared Allen doesn't need to necessarily. I mean, like I said, oh, I yes. think that, sure. or sorry, not Jared Allen. Evan Mobley doesn't need to necessarily grow into that pivot defensive role because Jared Allen's going to be around for a minute. So, one thing that I'm going to quibble with you on a little bit is the idea that Jared Allen provides the opportunity for Evan Mobley to grow into that pivot defender role. Um, when you look at the contract details, associated with Jared Allen, he is on an incredibly team-friendly deal. He is signed for $20 million a year for the next four seasons. The Cavaliers have control over Jared Allen through his age 27 season, and he's more than providing Evan Mobley with the opportunity to grow into that pivot defender role. He is that pivot partner for Evan Mobley for the next four seasons to come. Uh, Evan Mobley is going to be a star before Jared Allen is gone. And um, Jared Allen is going to be just a wonderful sidekick for Mobley out there on the, uh, or down there underneath in the post. Yeah, well, he's, he's a good trade asset too. I mean, if Mobley develops the point, because I still feel like Mobley is going to be at his best as a defensive pivot. I think I agree with you. I think he'll get there in terms of his weight. And I think he'll be a great interior defender. Uh, and it's, it's just like Allen in case, like if Mobley doesn't get there, which was one of my concerns about him going into the, into the draft. I think, then, then Aaron, then Allen's there for him. But if he does develop into that, and they decide we want Mobley at center, then you can easily trade Allen for a good hole. Right. I think Allen is just. Oh, I think a. I think that Allen is. Uh, he is 
not what's the word that I am looking for? Not versatile, uh, mobile. He he is mobile enough to really um, to really play as more than just a pivot next to Mobley. Mobley can take time as the pivot. Allen can take some time um, where he gets switched for moments that I'm not saying that he's a great guy to get switched out on the perimeter, but he can at least hold his own for a few moments when necessary. And Mobley can slide down into the pivot or against the right lineups. It won't matter. Um, And in addition to that, you know, as I said, um, I briefly used the word versatile to describe him. I think he's versatile as well. So I think that they're going to work really well together. I, don't think the Cavs are going to have any concerns about those two playing together in the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, they hope I'm sure that Mobley develops into a better three point shooter. So they're not running two non shooters, power forward and center. How do you, what confidence do you have? I mean, I, I feel like I've, I've got a solid degree of confidence in Mobley's ability to develop as a shooter, just because of how talented he, looks he is. Good. Yeah. But uh, so we've got Garland, excuse me, we've got Mobley potential superstar there. We got Allen who was an all-star last season. I think he'll make more all-star games. I don't know if he'll be a perennial all-star. Yeah, I was but say, I, he could, he, yeah. I think that his all-star game appearances in the future are going to depend entirely on the Cavaliers' success. Yeah, entirely possible. Mm-hmm. I agree. So, yeah, so Allen, uh, definitely a, a good young player. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then we move on to their all-star backcourt. we got Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland. And like we said, brought in uh, Mitchell a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And Garland, so Garland had been playing next to Sexton. Sexton, I think, was a bad fit for Garland. I don't think Sexton is a winning player in general. In any event, Sexton got injured near the beginning of last season. I think it was addition by subtraction. I'm not saying, you know, good thing he got injured, but I think it was addition by subtraction because Garland got to be the primary handler and he exploded into an all-star. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm hesitant to say that anybody as young as Colin Sexton is, quote-unquote, not a winning player. I mean, if... Not at if, this point. Yeah, if I'd have had not my... So yeah, not so far, I guess, but... I mean, not so far for most players that are his age, right? I mean, I would have been, I would have been very tempted to say the same about Zach Levine um, before he left Minnesota. You know, I mean, there are a lot of guys out there who, and I understand that Zach Levine has more physical bona fides than Colin Sexton, but you know, you just don't know when they're that young. But I will say though that Donovan Mitchell is clearly a better fit than Colin Sexton. Um, I mentioned Zach Levine has more physical bona fides than Colin Sexton. Donovan Mitchell has way more physical bona fides in addition to his realized, skillful, um, what he has shown as a skilled basketball player. He is capable of being a very good defender for his size. I think that he's not. (laughs) He hasn't at this point. I just don't care because he's shown enough. He showed enough in college. He showed enough at the beginning of his time in Utah that I think that in the right circumstances, I, th- I think that he can very well be not only a not only a passable, but I think a plus defender as a guard. And I think that there was a certain element of toxicity to his relationship with Rudy Gobert. And I understand that it is always a risk when you look at a player and you say that player didn't play as hard because of who his yeah. teammates were. There's a certain yeah, type, a there's a certain risk that goes with that, but who likes Rudy Gobert? I don't know. I I, I can't I can't agree with this. Uh, like I think we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves in the, or maybe a little bit off track in terms of discussion. But I just I just can't say like you know you're 
you're a professional athlete. You're blessed to be able to do that. You're paid a lot of money to do it, and you should be working hard. He he failed his team by being a complete turnstile in the playoffs the last two seasons, the last two off seasons. Spectacular play postseason scorer for the most part, but true. I yeah, just but, honestly, uh, yeah. I don't I don't put a lot of stock into the argument that just because somebody is paid a lot, their nature as a, an employee is going to change. Yeah, that's fair. I think we're dealing with extremes here in terms of salary, but also it's like, uh, you know, you're pro. I just, I expect these guys are going to work hard, but I, I uh, let's just do, yeah, let's, uh, let's do quick profiles on these guys though. Darius Garland, for those who aren't as familiar with him, super exciting to watch point guard, really explosive, extremely athletic, very good passer. Is one of the leaders in assists in the NBA last season, averaged about 22 points per game, a strong attack in the basket, uh, strong three point shooter, including on pull-ups. Tremendous three point shooter. Yeah, strong. Yeah, absolutely. You know, he's he's real good. Uh, he shot, I think he shot like thirty-seven. I, I don't remember exactly what the stats were. He shot a high percentage on pull-ups last season, and that's a very, very good shot to have. Not just pull-ups, but the deepest pull-ups. Um, I think he was he was right there with the very best players in the league when it came to guys that were pulling up from you know twenty-seven, thirty feet. He is a legitimate deep threat. He throws the ball up there like a Dame Lillard, like a Steph Curry. And he hits those shots, or at least he did last season. You know, obviously we we know that it takes a lot of shots for um, shooting to stabilize and become something that is predictive for any given player. But Darius Garland was throwing up three point shots with the best shooters in the league from outside twenty seven feet last year. I think that pairing him up with Donovan Mitchell gives them a, an offense that will provide a massive amount of space for the rest of their players um, to honestly just look incredible. And, I, you know, as much time as we spent already on Jared Allen, on Evan Mobley, as much time as we, we might be threatening to spend on Donovan Mitchell and Darius Gar- Garland, I don't think any of those four players is really a mystery piece. For them in terms of determining what their success will be um, this season. I think we can be fairly confident that those guys are going to perform as advertised, right? The, the question with the Cavaliers is, and, and again, we also know that they have a tremendous sixth man. Kevin Love is a tremendous sixth man. The Good question is, too. yeah, oh yeah, great presence. He, he's, he's done everything Aside the from- Cavs have asked him to. Oh, aside from that one incident last season with the inbounds play, <laughs> yeah, he. Uh, I don't think. I don't think he handles losing well. I think he. Ha- I don't think he wants to be in a losing situation. And I think that there was a point. Was that last season? or Was that two years ago? I don't remember. It's a good point. I think that was uh, two seasons ago. And I, I just I think you're right. Yeah, he really. I. I. I don't totally blame him. Again, I just think that you know, like I said, I regardless of what they're earning people are people and it's difficult being in a bad situation and after being on the championship teams and after being on those bad teams in minnesota i he simply is one of those people who's not happy in a losing situation and i think in a winning situation kevin love is a tremendous asset for the Cavs. um but i think think the, the, the the real question for the Cavs is you know what what can isaac okoro be for the Cavs? uh what can a healthy chetty osman be for the Cavs this year karis lavert um karis lavert god karis lavert is i think we know what karis lavert can be he can be one thing and one thing only he's he'll be useful 
if he's a chucker. Yeah, he'll, he'll <laughs> yeah he'll be useful in situations where they need somebody off the bench to have the ball in the hand ball in his hands. Um, he'll be useful in games where they rest their other ball handlers and give him an opportunity to cook for an entire night. Um, he's got a specific yeah. role. I don't yeah, think he's got he's, a specific role. Yeah. Yeah, I think the bigger questions are maybe not even Osman. I think we kind of know what Os what we're getting with Osman. I think Isaac Okoro is really the um the big question mark for this team. If Isaac yeah. Okoro can huh. knock down shots when open, that right there might be enough to put them over the top and make them a more than just a, a favorite in the battle for home court advantage. That could make them a favorite in the entire Eastern Conference if Isaac Okoro is knocking down shots. I'm not sure where they have a weakness for other teams to expose aside from uh, being worn down potentially by the sheer physicality of a guy like Giannis. Uh, yeah, Okora definitely could be an X factor, in- including the defense. Like he's a strong defender. We know about that. And in the backcourt with Mitchell and with Garland, you've got two six foot one guards. Mitchell has struggled. You know, I know you think that he could be a good defender. I agree with you. Will he be? Who knows? Uh, you know, he'll certainly have less work to do on the offensive end. But uh, Garland, not a particularly good defender. Both of them, I think, sort of switch liabilities. And so you've got Mobley who's strong, Allen who's strong. If you've got Okoro who's strong as well, then that's less of an issue. And yeah, if you can space the floor, fantastic. That could be a good player and an ideal complement to them. Yeah, I'm just, I'm... You think highly of these guys. Yeah, that, that's honestly, I was, th- I was trying to think of a way to better phrase, you know, or differently phrase what I've already said. I'm, I think that they are going to be a scary, scary team in the Eastern Conference this year. They definitely could be. Now, uh, I just want to go back briefly, and then let's move on, because, man, we've spent more than 20 minutes talking about these Cavs. There's a lot to talk about. They're the most interesting team in the conference, definitely. One of the most interesting teams in the league. Yeah. Uh, So the only thing I have to, so just a quick, quick profile on Donovan Mitchell for those who aren't aren't as familiar with him. Lives in the pick and roll, lives in the high pick and roll. He was top four in the league last season in pick and roll possessions per game and and on the season as a whole. You know, just, just a little bit behind Luka. And John Morant and, and well behind Trey Young. Everybody was well behind Trey Young. Mm. So I, I do have questions about the fit there. There's one thing I didn't like about the trade is that I kind of feel like it's really important for players of that caliber. You're giving up a lot of assets for them to paid a lot to be at least one plus one equals two. And I feel like this is not going to be that situation because these are both guys who are at, at their strongest by far on the ball. So in a way, one of them can have it. Maybe you just don't care. And, and uh, you know, maybe if you're the Cavs, you don't care. But I feel like. That, that's my only concern about the fit there, that and the defense. Yeah, I think that what you'd have to worry about a little bit is um, something that I've heard you bring up in the past is the idea that you might not get the absolute best. Um, you might not be maximizing Donovan Mitchell. But if you're the Cleveland Cavaliers, I think you're focused on maximizing the Cleveland Cavaliers. And I think Donovan Mitchell is a good fit for that. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, it's unequivocally they improved the team. I mean, beyond any shadow, even the slightest shadow of a doubt, this improved the team. And I, I kind of, I agree with you. I'm ready to move on. But I also would like to throw one more name out there that we have managed to somehow not mention. At some point before the season ends, they will get back some guard depth. Ricky Rubio should return. And if he's at least a shadow of himself, that's going to be tremendously helpful off the bench for them. When they need somebody to just step back and patiently run the offense and get out of the, and not make youthful mistakes. That's, that's going to be very useful for them. Yeah. ACL tear is a long recovery though. And this is the second ACL tear on that same knee. Is that his second one on that knee? Jeez. I honestly didn't realize that. Yeah. So we'll see. All right. Anyway. Yeah. For all of you who've stuck with us through 
24 minutes and 20 seconds of uh, Cleveland Cavaliers talk. Uh, we hope you found it interesting. Let's move on to the second most interesting team in the conference and a, a perennial powerhouse, and that is the Milwaukee Bucks. So when it came to their offseason, uh, nothing too um, nothing too interesting. In yeah. fact, I mean, really pretty much nothing interesting. They added uh, Marjan Bokamp, if I'm pronouncing it right, and uh, and Joe Ingles, and uh, that's it. Are you yeah, sure? They lost Jordan Orr. Are you sure it. they're the yeah. second most interesting in the conference? <laughs> um. Aside from the Pistons, who knows about interesting? I'll just put it this way. I love Giannis. I just love Giannis. I mean, I think that he is one of these just ideal sportsmen, you know, super hard worker, like incredibly hard worker and just a great guy who's super active in the community. He's a leader. He, he always sets nothing with the best example. And uh, and I, I think, I mean, between his, his just excellent offense and his spectacular defense, I think he's on course at this point to become one of the greatest players in NBA history if he keeps it up. And the guy's a physical freak. I know we've talked about this. Nobody should be, you know, that big, that mobile, that agile, and that injury resistant. Right. Oh, I, yeah. Injury resistant is is almost an understatement after what we witnessed with his knee. Um, I would The one worry that I would have with the Milwaukee Bucks is their age. They are an old team, but I'm not tremendously worried about that simply because of the fact that Giannis is relatively young. Giannis, he will be playing. This will be by the NBA's um, accounting, which I believe the it's their age at the end of February, beginning of February, something like that. This will be Giannis's age twenty eight season. Um, their team age last year was weighted for minutes. They were just under twenty nine years old, um, weighted for minutes on average. So Giannis is a youthful part of this team. This is not a young rotation that we're talking about. Drew Holiday is going to be in his age 32 season. Uh, Chris Middleton is going to be his age 31 season. I actually just um, picked up off of the Zach Lowe podcast earlier today that Middleton also could be up for an extension after this year. That's beyond our preview of this year, but <laughs> uh, he's already making already making $38 million. Yeah. So um, we've got, you're going to get to see, you know, last year at the end of the year, we saw uh, Brooke Lopez was helpful for them when he returned, but, and you'd assume that with a little bit more of a lead up time, he's going to be helpful, but yeah, he's too, he's too slow to switch now though. At age, uh, at age like 33, 34, he can't I mean, switch 34. anymore. Yep. Yeah. 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 They're getting up there. I mean, a lot of players, this is the age at which a lot of players, like it's easy to look at these like superstar players who play in the mid thirties and is still at a super high level, but most guys start to slow down around 30. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Even, even some of the guys that you might look at, how old do you think Pat Connaughton is? Without uh, well, I'm looking at him right now. Ah. He's going to be 30 this year. Yeah, exactly. This is <laughs> Pat Connaughton feels in, in my mind, he feels much younger than that. And then I, he's, he's going to have a three. <laughs> Um, they're, they're, they're really the only, the only youthful part of their rotation is beyond Giannis is probably Grayson Allen, right? Uh, yeah. So Grayson Allen is going be to be 27. Yeah. yeah. So it's true. They're getting up there, but I don't think that's really going to come into play this season. I think you still get a strong team and who knows, it could have easily been the Bucks in the finals if, uh, if Chris Agreed. Middleton had been healthy. In terms of, the and, fi- in terms yeah. of the finals, exactly. Yeah, but I would say so. Giannis is just is is an absolutely overpowering presence. Drew Holiday is still one of the strongest defensive guards in the league. High percentage three point shooter. Chris Middleton, 
also a strong defender. Uh, one of the one of the league's only real shot creators. You got Bobby Portis, who's a strong, who's, you know, is strong in the front court. You got Brooke Lopez, who might end up off the bench this year. Yeah, Portis uh, might be because, the opposite. Yeah. Portis might be the opposite of Connaughton. He feels like he's thirty and he's going to be twenty seven. Man, that guy. I would not want to be defended by that guy. He's got like those like incredibly, incredibly just like scary eyes. <laughs> it's like, I don't know if you watch Star Trek or any of you has watched, uh, watched uh, Deep Space Nine Next Generation, like Bobby Portis is the NBA equivalent of Galran, you know, with those, uh, with, with those like super penetrating eyes. But um, I've always, yeah, been so, more, I've yeah. always been more of a Star Wars guy. The Star Trek uh, thing is, is never been, gotcha. although I, I, I recognize that Star Trek is a tremendously important cultural piece in the sci-fi universe, but absolutely. Yep. So, yeah. So they brought in, um, brought in, uh, Marjan Beauchamp. I think I'm Beauchamp. I never remember how to pronounce his name. Strong defender could be a good player mm-hmm. if he gets a shot together. He has everything and, but a uh, shot. Yeah. 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 I think, he I think he could be, yeah. he could be a monster steal for them. If he has a shot, if he develops a jump shot long-term, he is a, tremendous guard piece for them isn't he i, I think so yeah absolutely uh do you see he's got good size he can play up to small forward i think he'd, he'll be able to defend maybe four positions if he really gets it together if he really puts on a little bit of weight uh, but uh i mean this is a bucks team on paper that doesn't really have much in the way of discernible weaknesses if they can stay healthy now brooke lopez who was a key a key part we really saw in the celtic series that he could not switch um, so the question they're is, they're relying a lot more on Portis, I think. Was that the injury or was that the age? You know, can I think he, it's the age. Can he? I, I think you're right as well. I don't think he's ever been tremendously fast. And I think that any loss of foot speed is going to harm him. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, he, the guy's been in the league 14 years now. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, he he is one of the. I admire him as much as I admire any NBA player. As much as you would admire any you know sports entertainer. The way that Brooke Lopez has reinvented his game to oh, extend yeah. his career is something worth looking back on. Really is absolutely, and and this brings me to one of like basically the only shortcoming in Giannis's game that being he can't shoot and he's a perimeter player, so you need a stretch five. Like yep. basically, if his supporting cast in terms of shooting dies in the playoffs, we saw it against the Raptors back in 2019. If you can take a man off. And basically double and triple team him on the way to the basket. That's the only way you can stop him. And if everybody around him is shooting well, then good luck. Right. But, so, uh, but Bobby Portis can do it too. I mean, Portis has come in and been a really effective three-point shooter for them. And they've got the opportunity for a little bit of found money if they can, if Serge Ibaka can have anything, be anything this season. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's, uh, Serge Ibaka really went into decline very quickly. I mean, he was a solid player as recently as 2019 on the Raptors championship team. But he's had some serious injury woes, definitely. Like some serious injury woes. He's been in the league 13 years too. Right. So, so to, yeah, bring, to bring yeah. it around though, you can see why I they're not to me, they're not a tremendously interesting team. They're Fair. one of the best teams. I think that the only thing that's gonna keep them from being a threat for the top seed in the conference is the fact that I think they're gonna spend plenty of time resting those guys. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I think that health is the only thing. I, I think my opinion is that if, if they're healthy, then they're a better team than the Cavaliers. Like even if Roby has a good season. Yeah, I, I think that they're the odds on favor to win the division. I think that at this point, and you're right, they're getting older, but mm-hmm. I think that their window is still open with Middleton and with Holiday, yeah. guys who might be really turning the cusp of going into decline. Yeah, my, and, my, worry, yeah. my worry is that they try to ride the invincibility of Giannis a little bit too long and a little bit too hard. 
Yeah. I mean, you got to hand it to them, though. They went all in on, on Drew Holiday. They got over some roster humps and they won a championship. I was happy to see it. Absolutely. I mean, that was, that was one of the few times when I look at a player. The last time was Dirk in 2011 when I'm watching the finals and there's just a player I really want to see win it. And it was really good to see him win one. I don't know how, whatever. I don't like making statements like this. I just don't think there's anything not to love about Giannis. So far, not a thing. Yeah. I would say that with looking at them, just the fact that they have Giannis Antetokounmpo is a, it puts them in a position where their absolute floor, if they are injured and resting people, as long as Giannis is healthy, they will have home court advantage in the first round of the playoffs. Entirely possible. Yeah, I, I think that's reasonable to say. Yeah, and basically, if they can play their game, they got their, their guys healthy. You know, you've got Giannis as an incredibly strong interior defender. Uh, Drew Holiday is one of the strongest perimeter defenders in the game. Porters is a strong defender. Basically, they're going to be strong on defense. If the shooters shoot, it's very difficult to stop this team. If they're healthy and the shooters shoot. Yep. So uh, always going to be a contender. Uh, well, for now, excuse me, this season, if they're healthy, they'll be a contender. All right, anything else in the box before we move on to the Chicago Bulls? Chicago Bulls. Yeah. So the Bulls offseason, they lost Troy Brown Jr., I think is a decent role player, you know, whatever. It wasn't a big loss for them. And interest in Thompson. Uh, they brought on Goran Dragic, who's really on his last legs. Uh, they brought on uh, Andre Drummond, who is like a decent backup center. Uh, I really don't like the guy. <laughs> if anybody who has been listening to this podcast for a while knows that that's a little bit of an understatement. But uh, so the Bulls were a real surprise last year. The Bulls were uh, a real I, surprise. Yeah. And in part, that's why I don't expect a lot out of the Bulls this year. I just don't. I, I Maybe I'm crazy, but I think what we just saw last year was the best we're going to see of DeMar DeRozan. I agree. Yeah, he, he had a, an absolute resurgence. Like he, he was very good. He was a guy to whom you could just hand the ball and say, get me points, and he could do it efficiently on a really high volume. That is an incredibly valuable player, but he did better at it than he had ever done before. He's, he's done so much to develop himself as a creator for his teammates since he got to San Antonio, and I don't think that's going away, right? I think that's a skill that's going to extend his career, frankly. I think that there was every every bit the chance that we, we could have been looking at a DeMar DeRozan that would be washed in a year or two. Sounds crazy given his isolation scoring recently in, the, in this most immediate season, but um, I don't think we're going to see that kind of isolation scoring again. It's, it's such an incredible outlier, especially what he did in the middle of the season. Yeah. I mean, I think he absolutely deserved his all-NBA berth, uh, but yeah, he definitely slowed down a bit in the final quarter, the issue with DeRozan, okay, when they picked up DeRozan, I thought, uh, I don't know about this. Like he and Levine have a certain amount of overlap. DeRozan can't really play off the ball, and he can't really play off the ball. Like he's not, he's not a shooter for the most part. He shoots on very low volume. And they're both weak defenders, and Vucevic is a below average defender. And so, but what made it work was that you could give DeRozan the ball and count on him to get points. Like, and, and I think he averaged like something like 10 attempts per game. Like Kobe um, Fatal yeah, like he, he was great at mid-range pull-ups. He took a ton of them, and he was really good at them. And that's a tough skill, and if you can do that, then you're always going to be valuable. But Yeah, you, you yeah. said that he's not much of a shooter, really. You know that, And I know that that's kind of in reference to three-point shooting, but what he's able to generate in l- low-leverage situations is absolutely amazing. His, his scoring, his shooting is more than good enough for those late clock situations oh, yeah, where definitely. you just need a bucket. 
Yeah, I was I was just talking about off-ball plays. So, of course. yeah, you've got DeRozan. Yeah, I agree with you. He's not likely. I don't think he's likely to repeat that season. we got Zach Levine, who's mm-hmm. also a really good scorer. Also not a very good defender, but he did great from off the ball and on the ball both. And uh, those two pretty much, and Lonzo Ball really kind of play made by committee, about five assists apiece. When are we uh, going to yeah. see Lonzo Ball again? So, yeah, Lonzo injured himself last season. So when it really went downhill for the Bulls, first they lost Caruso. Or did they lose him first? Yeah, they lost him first. And Caruso was having yeah. like just a really good season. I mean, he was he was rightly being considered an all-defense candidate. And like Vucevic, I think you and I can agree that at this point, the Bulls have decisively lost the Vucevic trade. Like decisively. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, that their their pick turned into into Franz Wagner. I mean, and Vucevic has not been good for the Bulls so far. It, it turns out that when he's not the number one option anymore, he's not all that valuable, uh, not quite as valuable on offense, though he also had a terrible season. And on defense, really not great. So, yeah, you got the three of them. And when it really went downhill was when they lost first Caruso and then Ball, both very high caliber defenders. And Lonzo is not healing. It's unclear when he'll be able to get on the court again. Yeah, I think they, they I think they had something like a two-month timetable after he had surgery at the end of January. They thought they were going to get him back for the playoffs, and they're not sure if he's going to be ready for – well, I think they already stated that they know he's not going to be ready for the start of the season. Yeah, I think so. So, you know, it, it's one of those things where they, they could very well get him back to full strength by the end of the year, but and we don't know. We just don't know. When, when somebody experiences these kinds of nagging injuries, that's when you start to really wonder. Yeah. He was good for the Bulls. He's a strong perimeter defender always. He's a really high percentage three-point shooter. He's still terrible from the interior, but he took like, I don't know, like almost 75% of his shots from three. Yeah, I don't think there I don't think there are many teams in the NBA that Lonzo Ball would not be good for. I think Lonzo Ball is a great NBA player. I think that Lonzo is really only going to be at his best if he's on a team with like a couple of elite creators next to him. I hope, you know, ideally elite athletes who can free him from needing to do anything on on offense in the half court, but just pass in the perimeter and shoot open threes. And he was able to do that with the Pelicans. And it was, it was a great fit for him too with the Bulls next to DeRozan and Levine. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that obviously if you, that there are roles that you could put Lonzo Ball into where he would not be a good fit. I think that if you, if you're going to expect him to do things that he simply can't do, he's not like, going to be good for your team. Like but, create offense. Yeah. Exactly. Or do anything inside the arc, drive the basket. Oh, fun fact about Lonzo. He had the exact same two-point percentage and three-point percentage. <laughs> 42.3% for both. And uh, and kept up his like his almost historically low free throw rate of less than one per game. <laughs> the guy is like Killian and that he doesn't he's he's even more contact diverse than Killian. We'll put it that way. And that's not going to change at this point. Yeah, he's just he's he's continuously impressed me. The way that he rebuilt his his college three-pointer and the three-point shot that he had when he was drafted by the Lakers was brutal it was absolutely brutal to look at um he's turned himself into a tremendous defensive player and he's still only 24 years old assuming that he is able to stay healthy his knees recover like i said i i think he'd be great he's great for the bulls and i think he'd be great for in in his role great for just about any team in the nba he's somebody that i really hope comes back healthy for the bulls this year but me too Considering he's missing the beginning of the season, considering that we don't think that DeRozan is going to repeat what he just did, what we just said about Vucevic, um, I struggle to see the Chicago Bulls doing anything anywhere near what they did last year. Interesting. 
Well, I think that there are a couple other players you can consider. For example, Patrick Williams, whom they took number three back in 2020. Uh, you know, he might see some improvement. He missed most of what the vast majority of last season, uh, but I think he's a player they're very high on. Could be a strong defender. Has got some creation potential in him. Uh, Ayo Desumu, uh, who was really a surprise last season, and uh, I think has a good deal of potential. Uh, Caruso is back, and you know, Javante Green's a decent rotation player. You know, I, I think you could, if you see some improvement from from Patrick Williams, Kobe White's still there. He kind of seems like he is what he is at this point. But if you get kind of a DeRozan who's almost as good and Vucevic sees some resurgence and Wanzo hopefully comes back, uh, Patrick Williams improves, Ayo Dasumi. I, I, I think that this could be a decent team, but I think they'll always, they're always going to have a second round ceiling. I just see them as a little worse than last year. And I see so many teams in the East as better than last year. Mm-hmm. What do you think their ceiling is if they do get Lonzo back? Their ceiling? I would say the if they get Lonzo back, if everything else breaks right, even let's say even with uh, DeRozan not playing as well, but things break right, maybe a top six seed in the East. Well, yeah, I, I, would say, I would say I think they have a shot at a number at a top four seed. I just don't think that in the East they're going to get past the second round. I just don't. I, I'm, we, aside from a number of other teams resting players, and if we – if you know, we get to that discussion of the playoff order, and when we get to the discussion of the playoff order in the East, that's a lot of teams that need to rest players or get hurt for the Bulls to jump into the top four. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I just think you never know. I mean, I think that they've got a good amount of talent on this team. I just don't think in the playoffs that they are going to beat the likes of the Bucks. I don't think they're necessarily going to beat the likes of the Sixers or goodness. I need to bring up the standings. I'm terrible at remembering all the teams in this conference. The Heat, right. the Celtics. You get a strong East, so. I just like if you look at the fact that rotations really tighten up in the playoffs, that offense will, will excuse me, offenses will target your liabilities more. And then you look at the fact that DeRozan liability and in, in isolation on defense and on defense in general will be you know liability on offense and isolation and in, and in general. And Vucevic, you know, liability on switches. So like even if you got Lonzo and Caruso out there and Patrick Williams, you're still really depending on outscoring the opposite team rather than you know, about that on a balanced approach. Right. Yeah. And I mean, it could break either way for them, really. They're, they're a team that, you know, when we look at what their results were last year, um, actually very similar to Cleveland, um, they missed about middle, of, almost right in the direct middle of the pack in terms of uh, player games missed last year. So, you know, if they're healthier than last year, they, they could be strong. I just, I'm not sure if I see it given the, age of some of their players and um, the likelihood of some of the performances being repeated. Yeah. DeRozan, 32, Vucevic, 31. And, and those are two important guys. And by the way, by outscoring the opponent, I mean that they're just going to have to hope to win on offense in the, in, in the postseason, I think. And I just don't see it happening. So no. yeah, I think either second or third in the conference next season, that's, uh, that's uh, I think an easy, a very easy projection to make. Like obviously they're going to be number two or number three. Because the next team we're going to talk about, the Pacers, is not they're not projecting to be strong at all. And uh, and the Pistons, uh, I think better than the Pacers, but not better than the Bulls, not better than the Cavaliers, not better than the Bucks. So Yeah, so we're moving to the Pacers next, huh? Yeah, so the Pacers, the least interesting team in the division. Uh, <laughs> so they lost Malcolm Brogdon by trade. Uh, that trade got them in return, Aaron Neesmith. Uh, Lance Stevenson is gone. TJ Warren, who had basically missed the last two seasons, went off to the Nets. And Dwayne Washington... Uh, got waived in order to make... He wasn't really good. I just think this is unfortunate for him. He got waived to make room for Aiden, who, of course, was 
retained by the Suns. So uh, they drafted Benedict Matherin. Uh, they brought on old Pistons great Diabetes Servetus. And uh, yeah, Jalen Green has stayed with the team. Jalen Green, who was acquired to the deadline. So uh, the other rebuilder in the yeah. Central Division, but not as far along in the rebuild as the Pistons. Yeah, so you, you called them, you know, the least interesting team in the division. I would honestly put them ahead of the Bucks in terms of whether or not they're interesting. I think that they are more interesting than the Milwaukee Bucks to me, at least through the regular season. At least through at least through the first half of the regular season. Because uh, well, I forgot about Halliburton actually. He makes things more interesting. He really does. He <clears throat> I can't really believe I does. forgot about him. <laughs> I so, still can't believe he's on that team. I still can't believe that the Kings traded him away. I'm a hundred percent with you on that one. I think the Kings made a mistake, but oh, yes. you know, when what the heart wants, the heart has to get, you know, it's, it's the Kings. Um, but looking at the Pacers, the Pacers are at the very least at this moment before the season has started. I think the Indiana Pacers are much more interesting than the Milwaukee Bucks because on top of the fact that they have Tyrese Halliburton, who I love, um, they have just there's there's there are so many question marks built into having Miles Turner and Buddy Heald on that roster. Where are they going? Exactly. Yeah, there's been the talk about heavily reported upon at the possibility of Buddy Heald and Miles Turner going to the Lakers in exchange for Westbrook and some picks. That's possible. I hope it doesn't happen uh, because I don't like LeBron. <laughs> But that's true. Now, I should rephrase what I said in terms of them not being as far along in the rebuild as the Pistons. I don't know how I forgot about Tyrese Halliburton. I feel like an idiot. I, again, I think it's just because the fact that he is with the Pacers right now makes no sense to me at all. Like, I don't you think remember, they're as yeah. far along as the Pistons, though. I think you're right about that. I think that they are that they are relatively close when you when you look at the fact that they have Halliburton. Sure. Uh, it, you know, if if they keep Buddy Heald, if they keep Miles Turner, uh, if Benedict Matherin, who who I was high on going into the draft, he was my one A, uh, he was my one B. If he is what I think he can be, then then they've got a real good core there. Halliburton was excellent for the Pacers last year after the trade, like legitimately like excellent. So he's up there and, and he's only 21. Yeah, I would just say that I think Cade Cunningham is clearly better than Tyrese Halliburton. Oh, yes, I, I agree with you. Yeah. yeah. So when you when you look at that and when you consider the fact that they are highly likely to get off, and, and I say this with full awareness that the Pacers have their ownership situation, they love to remain in the picture all the time. Mediocrity. I still expect, yeah, <laughs> That's the I word. still expect them to move off of Turner and Heald. I think that they're in a position where, from everything that I've read, this is a situation where ownership realizes that okay, we might need to sacrifice a year, and so I think that they eventually in some incredibly advantageous situation are going to move off of Heald and Turner. I think they should. Yep. And once I look at this roster, they are clearly behind Detroit once they lose those guys. You got Ben A. Math you got Ben Matherin, you've got Tyrese Halliburton and Chris Duarte. I don't see how the guys behind Halliburton match up to the guys behind Kate Kate Cunningham. So I think the Pistons are clearly ahead of them on the rebuild. I'm talking if they keep Buddy Heald, uh, you know, he's still a solid player. If they keep Miles Turner, if, if he can remain healthy as one of the strongest defensive centers in the league, and who knows, maybe it would blossom away from uh, from DeMontis Sabanis because Turner was basically just playing spot-up guy while Sabanis was playing center on offense. Hmm. So uh, Turner, of course, has had major injuries to both of his feet at this point and a plethora of more minor lower body injuries. And I 
uh, don't have faith in his health at all. But if they keep those guys and and they go for it, I, I would say that they're a better team than the Pistons next year. Yeah, I don't uh, have a lot ceiling, of ceiling. I don't think is high. I don't have a lot of faith in his long term mobility. He has he. I understand he's only twenty five years old, but he really feels like a Brook Lopez, a, a late career Brook Lopez coming on quick. Yeah, he's he's got health issues without a doubt. I agree. I, I don't believe in his durability. Do you believe that Buddy Hield is twenty nine already? Yes, because Buddy Hield came into the league very late. <laughs> oh yeah, he did definitely. He's traveled uh, but, around a while. He's yeah. traveled around. He's came into the league late. He's he is somebody who, if he'd have come into the league younger, I'd be saying he'd be a threat for Steph Curry's three point uh, shooting record, just because of the fact that his volume right off the get was so high. But yeah, he's he he is somebody who should be on a contender. I hate seeing him on bad teams. I hate seeing Buddy Hield on bad teams year after year. I'd like to see him as somebody throwing up unconscious three-pointers game after game for a contending team. Yeah, he's he's a very strong three-point shooter including on motion threes. So, yeah, the he just he hasn't even made it to the playoffs yet, has he? No, he hasn't. So, yeah. So, yeah, if I were them, I would trade away Hield, I would trade away Turner, get those picks. And then be bad this season. Hope for you know. Hope that you'll get your third guy in the upcoming draft, and then you might find yourselves in very good position if you're the Pacers, because man, Halliburton, like he he was good for the for the Kings, definitely. And not uh, only that, just, but you he, put a player he took it to next another level. to him. Yeah. Put a player next to him like Ben Matherin. Yeah. You know, you've got a guy that's as smart and talented as Tyrese Halliburton, and when you put Ben Matherin next to him, he can really accentuate what Matherin is able to bring to the floor in terms of his athleticism, uh, his potential shooting ability. Uh, there are questions about, um, there are questions about Matherin's, if I recall right, his, his motor defensively, if not his skill defensively. Um, but when you put a guy that's as smart as Halliburton next to a guy that's as athletic as a Matherin, a guy like Matherin tends to wind up in the right positions. Yeah. Halliburton is just a very, very smart player. Who's good at pretty much everything. He's not super athletic, but He's just so smart. Like with the Pacers last season, it was only 26 games, but 17 and a half points, nine and a half assists against only about three turnovers at 41% from three on, on good volume. I mean, the guy was great. And it's not kind of like this flash in the pan, in my opinion, not a, not a good stats for a bad team sort of guy. He is every bit of his stats, if not more. Guy always makes the right decision. So yeah, he's real good. Just real good. What, what a boon for the Pacers. And I agree, he's a really good fit for Matherin, who I think could could be a very good player if he can get his handle together and his ability his ability as a creator. So, and then, yeah. and then I think the the wild card for this team in terms of um, what they could be moving forward is the guy that Robert Sarver was too cheap to keep. Really, you think that highly of him? I mean, in terms of is he a wild card? Yeah, yeah. You get a guy with the athleticism and the size of a Jalen Smith and somebody that came in and on four three-pointers per night after they acquired him was drilling at drilling threes at 38%. Yeah, I think Jalen Smith is a real wild card for this team. 21-year-old kid playing next to a point guard like Halliburton. Absolutely. Yeah. He had his issues on defense, but yeah, who knows? You know, we'll see for sure. So, yeah, I think that's, yeah, like I said, I think I agree with you. They should move off of Turner. They should move off of Heald and, and hope for a high pick, And but it's looking to be a very strong 2023 NBA draft. And then you could really legitimately, legitimately be looking at five playoff teams from the Central Division. You know, hopefully as the Pistons make it there too. Right. Uh, you know, if, if the timelines overlap. But I'm okay with the Pacers yeah. not getting there. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, like the Pacers basically for many years were the Pistons, like during the mediocrity years, if the Pistons had been regularly making the playoffs and just losing in the first round. Yeah, I would say their 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 front office has since about 2006, 2007, their front office has consistently been smarter than the Pistons front office though at doing it. Yeah. So uh, would you say that the Pacers, with their current roster, finish fourth or fifth in the Central Division? Fifth. Absolutely fifth. With their current roster. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Well, oh, sorry. Sorry. With their current roster. Sorry. Yeah. Um, Probably fifth, but I'm less confident that way. I just, I completely expect them to move off of one or both of Turner and Heald. And do you think that if they uh, pull the trigger on that Westbrook trade, do you think that they buy Westbrook out right away or just wave him? That's yeah, what I, I would do. Yeah. I, I can't think of a single team that would trade for Russell Westbrook and not try try to buy him out. I think you just wave him. I just think you say goodbye to him yep. if he's not. Yeah, he's, he just he serves no purpose to a rebuilder. It's just like he's going to help you win games a little bit, and he's going to take usage unequivocally away from your younger players. You're going to have to play around him. So, yeah, uh, yeah. All right. So uh, yeah, let's move on to uh, where the Pistons might fall. But first, a couple of quick words from our sponsors. So if you listen to a lot of music, audiobooks, or podcasts such as this one, consider using uh, Raycon wireless earbuds to do it. Raycon's everyday earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever. They've got optimized gel tips, the perfect in-ear fit, three customizable sound profiles, and noise isolation. They'll give you eight hours of playtime and a 32-hour battery life. Best of all, they cost half the price of other premium audio brands. Go to buyraycon.com today and use the code TBPN15 to get 15% off your Raycon order. That's code TBPN15 at buyraycon.com to score 15% off. Byraycon.com, code TBPN. And also from DraftKings. Uh, the NFL's opening week was action-packed and it's just getting started. Get ready for week two of touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. This week, new customers can bet just $5 in any football game and get $200 in free bets instantly. Want more action? Everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings early win promotion. It's simple. This Sunday, bet on any NFL team to win. If your team wins, leads by 10 at any point during the game, you get paid instantly, even if your team loses. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TBPN to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet in any football game. That's code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Excuse me, in the NFL, also the NBA. No major eligibility restrictions apply. He's shown us for details. Okay, so uh, let's move on. And my goodness, this has turned into a long episode. What about the hour mark at this point? So uh, let's talk about where the Pistons could reasonably be expected to finish in the Eastern Conference. And, you know, screw it. If it's going to be a long episode, I think it's full of good uh, good analysis. So uh, we've gone up the Central Division. And there are so many other strong teams. Like how many, like legitimately, if this were just an average year, how many teams do you think there are in the in the Eastern Conference that would be considered like strong playoff teams? I think are it could talking, be nine. Are you talking yeah. in an – I like, might have lost the gist of your question. Okay. So just if we're talking just in a vacuum, like if you were to look at, 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 at all the teams in the Eastern Conference – and you were to say, and you were to count the number of, of what you would call strong typical playoff teams. year over the last two decades? Yeah, we can call it that. Because okay. like I see, I see okay. like nine strong playoff teams in the East. Yeah. Yeah, that's honestly, that is, that is exactly where I would put the line. Yep. Yeah. So there's, you know, injuries, assuming like in a, in a perfect world where there are no injuries, you would see like at least one strong playoff team miss the playoffs altogether. And that has not been the case in the East for a long time. Yeah, I think that this is one of the things that was on my mind when we started this conversation was this is not the best time for the Pistons to be turning into a contender in the Eastern Conference. It's going to be tough. 
Yeah, I mean, at any point, if, if we'd have looked at any point in the last uh, 15 years for this Pistons team to start coming of age, it would have been a better time than right now. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, maybe five years ago. Yeah, because as you look at, like, uh, just, just for the record, I mean, I know we're talking about the same teams here. Uh, we got the Heat, Celtics, Bucks, Sixers, Raptors, Bulls, Nets, Hawks, and Cavaliers. The Hornets were the only team to get worse. That was because of Miles Bridges, that awful situation. Well, they were also tremendously lucky last year. Even with the time, even with the time that Gordon Hayward missed last year, they were by far the healthiest team in the Eastern Conference. They cannot possibly be expected to be that healthy again. And then they lost Miles Bridges. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, if they had not lost Miles Bridges, I think our number would be ten. Though you're looking at like um, Bridges, who made a big leap, Lamelo Ball, who you can, I think, hope will continue to improve. Decent young core outside of that, but yeah, they did lose Bridges, and they replaced him with nobody. Yep. But even the yeah. Knicks got a little bit better. Like we're talking yeah. the Pistons, even the Knicks, you know, added Jalen Brunson, and hopefully and that's exactly what him. I was going to say. With the addition of Jalen Brunson, it's it's hard to put the Hornets at number ten, even with Miles Bridges. You know, I understand that Lamelo is going to keep getting better. But, yeah, you, yeah, you hope also that RJ makes some progress. The Wizards are going to get Bradley Beal back. Beal, I don't think he's like a number one scorer on a contender, but he's still an excellent scorer altogether. And hopefully maybe Chris Depps will be healthy. I feel like there are only three like straight bad teams in the Eastern Conference, and the Pistons probably going to be one of them. I would say four, and the Pistons will be the best of them. Okay, so you think they'll be better than the Hornets, better than the Magic, and better than the Pacers? Uh, yes. Because I'm ex- I'm expecting the Pacers to get off those players. Yes. Gotcha. So, yeah, I mean, it, it comes back to, like, it's like you said. This is not the greatest time for the Pistons to be trying to turn the corner. It's going to be competitive. They're going to have to be good in the East. Now you look at, at the upcoming season. Like, is there any route you see to the Pistons making the play-in tournament? Um, if the Knicks Knicks and... Chris Stapps is never healthy. Kyle Kuzma doesn't have his breakthrough season. Beal gets I injured again. I see them sneaking on 10. I don't expect it. You don't expect it. Where would you say you think the Pistons are likeliest to finish? You think uh, I know you said you think that the the best of the what you expect to be the four bad teams. I've got them at 12th. Yeah. You got them at 12th. Who do you yep. have them ahead of? The Pacers? And is it either the Hornets or the Magic? Pacers, Hornets, Magic. Yep. Oh, 12th. Gotcha. Sorry. Yep. Matt didn't go too well in my head. <laughs> so... Do uh, you think that there'll be, so I, I know that there's maybe a little bit, going to be a little bit of disagreement if a Magic fan were listening to this podcast, for example. Yeah. You think uh, pretty convincingly that the Pistons would be a better team? The Magic, I think we're a step ahead of the Magic. I think that the Magic are, you know, I want to say that I think the Magic are poorly constructed, but even as I say, I think the Magic are poorly constructed. I think of Franz Wagner and I'm mm-hmm. kind of, and I'm encouraged about them. I love, I love Franz Wagner. Um, He's a I think this, guy. yeah, I think in this year's draft, I think Franz Wagner is a clear top five pick in this year's draft. Now that um, we know what we know. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you brought up the potential draft order of, you know, previous year um, draft picks in, in this immediate draft and yeah, Franz Wagner, Scotty Barnes, some of these guys, but um, yeah, Wagner's Wagner's wonderful. Um, but I just think that the magic need to figure out how to play together. I think that, the number of injuries that the Magic have suffered, it seems like every single year has really been something that has kept that, that is going to reflect on this year's results, at least early in the year. And I think the Magic are going to struggle to come out the gates. Uh, what do you see us, what do you see the Magic seeing next season for Paolo Boncaro and also Jalen Suggs? I mean, Suggs, 
was injured multiple times last season, just never had a chance to find his stride. So in a, in a way, this will kind of be like his rookie season. I don't yeah. remember how many games he played. I think it was like around half the season or less. I could be wrong. And, but it's kind of like with Killian Hayes the season before, you know, it was just really an injury riddled season. So the sophomore season is almost like the rookie season. And Jalen Suggs was a top five pick in a super strong draft. And then and, you have Paolo also. Yeah. And, and if the Pistons had fallen out of the first pick, I would, you know, there were, there were, you know, maybe if the Pistons had been number four, I would not have been mad at the time if they'd have grabbed Jalen Suggs. You know, Suggs has an incredible pedigree. He's a tremendous athlete. He is by all accounts, a tremendous leader. He comes from a family of professional athletes on both the women's and men's side of the spectrum. So he is somebody that I just, I still have every expectation that Jalen Suggs is going to be a successful NBA player, right? Yeah. But and, when I look at yeah. the guys on their roster, I look at the fact that they are dealing with a, uh, a ball first guard glut. Cole Anthony, RJ Hampton, Markel Fultz, Paolo is by far going to be at his best at least early in his I think throughout his career but especially early in his career with the ball in his hands absolutely there's they're they're not a I hate saying this I hate this phrase it's one of the phrases that I truly dislike when we when we talk basketball but there are not enough basketballs to go around for the Orlando Magic yeah I definitely agree Markel Phillips uh, who who really had a bright future in the league until he got uh, until he got the yips. I mean, well for him the yips the awful nerve damage in his shoulder and definitely needs the ball unequivocally. Uh, Cole Anthony, who is very much a pull up shooter, needs the ball though he did fairly well at setting up last season. Jalen Suggs, I think, can, is more of a combo guard, but you want him to have the ball. And totally agree with Paulo. I've said it a million times. I think he's he's going to be at his best if it's an offense that plays around him with the ball in his hands. So that is a great point. I think that they're they're going to spend a little bit of time just they they've got to figure out their their guard glut. And I think that's going to put them in a position where they're going to relatively rapidly say to themselves, we need to get off a few players and um, you know, um wail around for Wemby, you know? Yeah, you think that next season is really make or break for Cole Anthony for them? Is next season make or break for Cole Anthony for them? Yeah, for the Magic. For you think them, he's off the team next season if hmm. if he doesn't perform? I'm I'm not sure because there's four I, I rattled off four names right there where for whom it's the exact same thing. It's it's make or break for their presence with the magic for Cole Anthony, yeah. for RJ Hampton, for Markel Fultz. It's not quite make or break yet for Jalen Suggs, but his I'd performance say far from it. Yeah. his performance is going to determine how make or break it is for the other three. So yeah, I you know, I I don't know. I, I yeah, I can't say. I, I don't think, I certainly would expect the Magic to move off of two of Holtz, Hampton, and Holtz, Hampton, and Anthony by next season. Yeah. I mean, I see a conceivable world. I, I'm As we talk, like I'm agreeing with you that they're likely to finish behind the Pistons. If Paolo really has a strong rookie season, Suggs shows some of the reason why he was drafted number five in a very strong draft. Cole Anthony is okay. And and Wagner shows some improvement. Wagner, excuse me, shows some improvement. Then I think there is a world in which they are at least an equal team to the Pistons. Yeah, and so, and yeah. they've got a couple of good players on the roster, as we mentioned, Terrence Ross. Um, and I I really like Wendell Carter Jr. Um, is Gary Harris going to play this year? I can't. What was the severity of inju- his injury? Do you know? Uh, I don't remember, but he's out for a while at least. Yeah. Um, yeah, and is and then I guess my second honestly I should have looked this up before we started talking, but um what is going on with John Isaac this year? 
uh, nobody knows. I don't okay. think they, that the impression that I get is that they don't really want him on the team anymore. <laughs> Maybe they take him back, but the guy is, is, uh, is gone a bit off the, whatever, you know, his extracurricular activities are a different story. You know, if he's, a lot of people like to refer to him as defensive Kevin Durant. You know, if he's defensive Kevin Durant, his extracurriculars are going to fade in terms of whether a team wants him or not. Yeah. Yeah. That that's true. I mean, he just can't stay healthy though. This is his issue. I mean, he was definitely shaping up like a few years ago to be a perennial all defense candidate who was, you know, a solid three point shooter who did a decent job off the drive. It was just a very strong all around player. And then those injuries happened like particularly the one during the in the bubble and he hasn't been the same since and uh, they actually because he's missed so many games it triggered a clause in his contract that made less and less of his salary guaranteed so we'll see what happens going forward but you know if, if he can be healthy he can get he can get back there then then that's a, a significant boon for them you know who knows if he would start but that'd be a significant boon for them yeah i'd say he would start i mean you could feel the roster of uh actually no he would be very unlikely to start ahead of either uh, Wagner or Boncaro. So yeah, the Magic. I don't think they're very going to be a very interesting team next season. But so, do you have yeah. um, do you have a ranking of your fifteen teams in the East in front of you? Uh, man, that's going to take some thoughts. I mean, I think that the so top you don't have it in front of you. Uh, no, I, I, I mean, I just think there are so many factors. I think that the team most likely to miss the playoffs in the East is still the Hawks because I, while I think they improved themselves with the with the Dejounte trade, I still think that they are a not a very strong defensive team. And so I, I, I would give them the highest odds of missing. The Nets, if Durant and Irving are healthy, like just if Durant is healthy, I mean, he's almost enough to make you a playoff team on his own. Simmons will be there. I think the Bulls are very likely to be a playoff team. The Raptors are only going to improve. And then your top four, I think, are the top four from last year. The Sixers, especially if Harden can heal. The Bucks, the Celtics, and the Heat. I think that even with what, even with Harden taking a discount and the Sixers bringing in some guys, they're still really top-heavy. I struggle to see them, I think, in a, in a world where players perform as we expect in terms of their health, I think the 76ers are maybe a fifth seed. Mm-hmm. Okay. But that's because I love the Cavs. Fair enough. So you think the Cavs are a top-four seed, huh? Yep. Gotcha. Yep. And who would be your other top-four? The Bucks, I'm sure. My top four in order as of this moment is, number one, I see no reason to think the Heat will lay off the gas during the regular season. They're the Heat. They do what they do during the regular season. I've got them as my one seed in the East. Okay. Um, I've got the Bucks number two. I've got the Cavs number three. And I've got the Celtics number four. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were last season. Like, it should, you might think that like if you see the Cavs make a, make a great deal of improvement. Like The top four in the East last season were very close. 53 wins for the Heat, 51 for the next three teams. So it was very close even then. The Raptors, uh, like where do you see the next four shaking out? Um, so I've got the non-play-in teams. I've got the five and six being the 76ers and the Nets. So I'm looking at a, a fun little 76ers Celtics 4-5 uh, matchup, a Cavs-Nets 3-6 matchup. And then the order going into the play-in, I've got Raptors, Hawks, Bulls, Knicks. Interesting. Yep. Yeah. I've got to agree with you that I think the Knicks will be the number ten team. When I, I started this, put, yeah. when I started putting that list together, I had the Raptors a lot higher, and then as I added teams in the conference, the Raptors just kept dropping. <laughs> gotcha. And you think Same it'll be most. the Wizards? You think it'll be the Wizards and then the Pistons after that? Yep. Out. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. Yeah, I mean the East is as strong as it has been in a very long time. The league is as strong as it has been in a very long time. Even you look at the East. I mean, your tankers in the East, like the Rockets, are still developing. And you, so basically, you've got the Thunder, the Rockets, 
the Spurs and the Jazz, like same thing, like four pretty bottom feeder teams. And and then in the, the, the West, I mean, you've got some good teams that are going to miss the playoffs. The Kings, yeah, I think, will be decent, but yeah, not, the, not a playoff the, team. The Blazers have a fair number of good players, and I don't, I'm not sure I see them making the play-in tournament, you know? Yeah, it could be. I would say out there, the Suns, the Grizzlies, the Warriors, I'm not going in order. I'm just reading out yeah. the standings here. The teams, the teams that I think will be playoff teams next season. Uh, because like the Nuggets are going to get better. The Timberwolves have gotten better. The Clippers are going to get better. The Pelicans are going to be better. So you've got the Suns, Grizzlies, Warriors, Mavericks, uh, Nuggets, Timberwolves, Pelicans, uh, Clippers, and, and the Lakers and the Trailblazers. And who knows? Maybe you'll see like uh, some good stuff from the new look. Not really new look, but from the Kings. Who knows? I mean, it's going to be a bloodbath out there too. God, the Kings, I feel like it's hilarious because their fans are so hyped for 40 wins or whatever this year. <laughs> oh, it's hilarious. I I struggle to see them getting into the play-in with anything better than the 10th seed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. And then they're going to be facing a real strong team in the play-in, but who knows? You only got to win two games. And you know what? You want to hear something crazy? As much as we talk about you know the Lakers needing to maximize every opportunity with LeBron James while they can, I see this year as a throwaway year for the Lakers. Wow. I don't think the Lakers can realistically look at their team and say, we can compete in this conference. What about with Heald and Turner? Like not Heald, but you, you bring in Turner. I mean, that's sure. You've only got your big two, but you've got a solid group of guys around them at least. If they can get off of Russell Westbrook, yeah. I'm and if just, they're healthy. Yeah. Health, st- health, health. Yeah. Yeah. Healthy, get off of Russ, uh, bring in guys that are useful for Russ. I just, um, if, if, I feel like if the Pacers were going to do that Russ deal, they might have already done it. I'm not sure why they wouldn't have done it. You know? I'm waiting. I think they're waiting for the Lakers to blink and give up those two picks instead of the one. If I think if the two picks were there, you I think the right. deal would. I think the deal will be done, and I think that the Lakers might talk themselves into it by the time opening night rolls around because you just signed LeBron to that extension. Anthony Davis, you know, his health may continue to be an issue, and if you really want to get another championship in there, do you risk it? Maybe. But even then, I agree, even with those two, even if you get off Russ, even if you got Turner, even if you got healed, you got a good group of role players there, even if you have good health, that, that that's not a championship. Uh, that's not a championship favorite. I mean, there are a lot of teams that could beat them. So is the East better than the West this year? Ooh, that's a tough question. I would say that the conferences are pretty equal at this point. Maybe the East is a little bit stronger. Actually, yeah, I would say that the East is, ha, huh, darn, that's just tough. I think, got, the, yeah. I think the West, I think the West, in the, if you looked at the top, three maybe four seeds i think the west is clearly stronger at the top three four i think if you look through the middle of the eastern conference though you go from maybe three four down through nine i think the eastern conference is a bit stronger maybe like a ninth seed lakers are better than a ninth seed bulls but i think we go three to eight four to eight i think the east is better Interesting. Yeah, it's 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 definitely going to be interesting in both and then, conferences. And then I think yeah. the and then I think the West has a, has more tanking teams slightly. I would say that's that well, the only clear tankers right now: the Spurs, the Jazz, uh, the Thunder, and the Rockets. So, which gives them yeah. more? I think I don't gives think them the, gives them four versus three. You're right. Exactly. Yeah, I don't think the hunt. I don't think I don't think the Hornets are trying to tank. I don't think the Wizards are trying to tank. They're just not that good. Yeah, but you know, if, if the Pacers uh, choose to stick with Heald and stick with Turner, then you've only got really two tankers in the East. Yeah. And the Pistons won't be trying to tank, presumably, like maybe halfway through the season if things really aren't going well. Yeah, but yeah the, Pistons are on that, the Pistons are on that razor's edge. We don't know if they're going to tank or not, and I don't think they know if they're going to tank or not. I don't think they will until midseason. Yep. 
yeah, they've got, it's just a question of, you know, as it is with some of these other young teams, it's a question of what kind of development do we see from, um, what kind of development do we see from Cade, from Sadiq, from Beef, and yep. really from, honestly, I know that a lot of us don't expect much, but from Killian. Yeah, definitely. Should be an interesting season and uh, definitely a lot to say about that. But man, we are at about a minute, an hour and 20 minutes here. So uh, yeah, any uh, any closing thoughts? Um. You know what? My my only closing thought is I have one positive thing to say about the Indiana Pacers. Shoot. Let's go, Dave. <laughs> right on. Yeah. Uh, we got a longtime listener of this show that I'm sure I'm sure will be very happy to hear that one. Uh, all right, folks. So that's going to be it for today's episode. Woj, it was great having you on the show. So as always, folks, thank you for listening. Catch you in the next episode.